Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Morning, Vox. How are we? Good. Everyone's kind of shuffling in. Last minute. Good, good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Uh, it's always fun to be with you guys. Hey, last week was fun. Did you guys like last week? Hanging out. That was great. Chili cook-off. Man, there was some good chili. Uh, it was some awesome stuff, and it was good to see so many families and kids and people hanging out. Um, cool story. We heard about um, a family who, uh, they're a part of the community, but they, they, they engage in Facebook online because they have a child who naps at 10 a.m., and so they, they let their child nap, and then they came here after to hang out and be with the community. So it's pretty cool, right? It's funny because I know some of you nap at 10 o'clock in here while we're teaching. So yeah, you could do that, I guess. You could come here and, and nap as well. Uh, but hey, we're glad that you're here. Um, so a couple quick things before we get started. Some announcements. Uh, we've got, uh, I think we have a, a workshop. Carrie, oh, 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 that's fine. You could do that one. There you go. Carrie's workshop. So Carrie is doing a workshop for Vox. This is exclusively for us and for this community. Um, and so if you want, make sure you sign up. That's uh, this Tuesday at 7 p.m. The topic is soul care. Um, she'll be diving deeper into that. And uh, it's just a great opportunity for you if you want to learn because we want to be learners. We want to learn more about that and how can we better shepherd and care for our own soul so that as Carrie says, freed people, free people. And so uh, if that's something you're interested in, uh, go online. You can check that out. Sign up. And the next one is uh, uh, my wife and I are going to be doing a Facebook live event uh, this Thursday. Uh, So a question came in last week or yeah, last week. And uh, it was, it was a really, really good question. Uh, It asked some questions about um, uh, divorce rates, um, uh, uh, affairs in in Christian circles, and and what does it look like uh, to have a monogamous relationship? And I think there were some other questions about, is polyamory, is that sort of something that that might be more beneficial for us? What what does the Bible have to say about those things? And and it was a good, good, good question. Uh, So much that I couldn't answer it in just the time that we have in the beginning of service. So my wife and I, because some of that ties into our own personal story, we kind of wanted to share our story together and and sort of take a minute to just answer some of the questions that this person was asking. And so uh, if you're wondering, if you're new, you're going like, what is this church and why are they asking questions? And that's weird. Uh, Yeah, like we we really believe that that doubt and skepticism is a part of a healthy faith journey. Uh, And so church should be the safest place to talk about anything. And so you should be able to ask any questions you want. Um, If you hear something in the message that you're not sure about and you go, what is that? There's a text number you can text right during the service if you want and ask some questions. We kind of collect those. and, And if we get questions, we'll answer them, you know, and, and sometimes it's not about the answer. It's just that, you know, you can ask the question because there's sometimes we don't know. We don't know the answer to those things. And so, but we're willing to engage those if you're willing to ask them. So that's for you. Sound good? All right. So this morning, uh, I think that's all the announcements. Yeah. So this morning, I want to talk uh, about uh, the life of David. We're going to look at a snapshot of David's life, but I want to start with this one one single verse. Uh, I think this verse um, is a powerful verse. You might have even seen it. It's out of Psalm 119, which is the longest, uh, has the, m- the most verses out of all scripture. Um, and there's one verse in particular, Psalm 119, 105, verse 105. This is, the, this is the verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So some of you, if you've been around church, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've seen this, and maybe if you have little trinkets in your bathroom, you know, you might have this on a on a picture, right? You might have seen this in someone's restroom, uh, which is a weird place to have a verse. Um, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. So 
Who knows who wrote it? Some people think David might have written it. Some people think Ezra might have written it. Um, The psalmists, uh, something beautiful about the psalms is that they put to words a lot of things that we feel and can express. Uh, Almost 50% of the psalms are lament, frustration, sadness, despair. Uh, And so the psalms are a really good way for us to find words and express what we feel. And so this is an interesting one. And so we're gonna talk about David's life and his journey. And I think when you hear David, immediately my mind goes to King and David and Goliath, right? Like that's, that's where my mind goes. But there's so much happening in David's life before that. Uh, and so what I want to ask is, what does David's life have to teach us about today and where we're at? So that's kind of what we're going to look at. I've titled the message, Rocks and Harps, Rocks and Harps, and we'll kind of get into that in a minute. But let me pray for us as we start. Uh, faithful God, we're grateful to be here in your presence. We're grateful to be together um, in a community that gathers and shares in what it means to do life, um, to experience pain and joy and all of those things together collectively. Uh, we pray that this place would continue to be open to those who are questioning, who are hurt, who are looking, who are searching. Uh, they might feel safe, safe to be a part of something. And so we're, we're grateful for these opportunities. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, and the hope and the life that he brings and gives. And so would you open our hearts to that this morning? We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so I've been thinking about this recently, and it, and, uh, it has to do with sort of our culture and our society that we live in. And uh, it feels like we have this preoccupation with escapism, like can we just go over there? Get away from this place. Can we just go over there? And I kind of tell you what I mean. So a philosopher, Pete Rollins, he says that there's a preoccupation with escape reveals our inability to integrate with the world around us. So, so what does that mean? Well, I don't know about you, but I can identify with this because I've been in jobs where I've I had the job and I'm at work and you're just kind of going through the daily grind of life and you start to dream. Well, what would it be like to be here, right? I remember having conversations with friends when we were at work and like, oh my gosh, some days I just want to like, I just want to sell everything and go live in Montana and just buy a ranch and live on a ranch and farm, right? Has anybody ever had that? Yeah, right? Like, I just, can I just get away? Maybe it's a vacation. I just need a vacation. Let me get out of here. I don't want to be in this place. I just need this, right? And we hold on to these things. Uh, And so what I think Pete Rollins argues is that this preoccupation with escape actually causes us not to integrate with our world around us, but actually disintegrates our ability to be in the world that we're in. Um, And that could be a dangerous thing, but I think because the world around us seems to be shoving us from behind, it feels like I'm constantly being pushed into what I have is not enough. Where I'm at is not, not the right place, that I need to have more, right? So everything that is being marketed and sold and bombarded at you, and it's like, you don't have any choice. You're just there, and it's like hitting you from every place, and you start to feel like, I, I don't have that. Or yeah, I do need that. Or maybe, yeah, maybe my job isn't the right place. Or, or maybe this relationship I'm in is, uh, I don't know. Maybe I need to go find here. I need a better house, a better car, better clothes, right? It, everything on the news, it's like, you don't have what you need to have in order to be happy. Which is interesting because if you've ever really desired something, like if you had this thing like a craving, like I I want this thing, maybe it's a car, right? I want this. And so you work and work and work until you get the car. And then what you realize is that once you get it, it never really fills that thing, right? Because maybe for a little while you're content, but then eventually it sort of goes away and then you want something else. 
And so there's this insatiable appetite, this desire for us for more. And we are in sort of this frenetic struggle of consumerism and it's moving us and it's like, what do we do? How do we find contentment in the place that we're at? And maybe we need to ask some better questions about where we're at because if we're stuck in this place that feels like it's pushing us to go there, what's wrong with here? What's wrong with the place that you're in now? Now, this isn't to suggest that you shouldn't have dreams, that you shouldn't have desires, that you shouldn't have wants, or you, know, you want to achieve things. I mean, that's a God-given thing, right? But when those things start to feel like a heavy weight and it creates a discontent, if it makes you doubt and wonder why you're in this situation, we need to ask some serious questions about that. And so the question then is, what does David's life have to teach us about contentment and about finding where we're at today as being okay? So if we look at the story where we pick up and David is in 1 Samuel, but Israel as a nation has sort of become discontent with, with where they're at. So, you know, for a long time, God was their king. He was their leader, and they weren't happy with it because it wasn't enough. They looked around. They saw other nations. They saw other people groups who had a king, an actual king, a live, living king. And they thought, surely it would be better for us if we had a king. So they started petitioning God. We need a king. We need a king. And God is like, I am your king. Why do you, why do you need more? Well, because that's something about the human condition, right? And so God says, okay, you want a king, so I'll give you a king. And so he gives them Saul. And Saul is like, you know, he is the quintessential king. He's good looking. He's a warrior. He's got pedigree. He's got prominence. His name speaks for himself. And so everyone in Israel thinks this is the right choice. He's our king. And they're happy because now they have a physical king and now they can be like the rest of the world. But they're discontent because Saul's not cutting it. Saul's not actually meeting the thing that they want, right? Remember I talked about that earlier. Like sometimes when you desire something, when you get it, it doesn't actually fill a void. And so here's Israel, not content. Even Samuel, the high priest, who's the one who's in charge of going before the people to God, is starting to cry out and say, God, we need a different king. Saul's not cutting it. You need to give us a different king. So he's begging God for a new king. Now, something is interesting is happening in 1 Samuel because the narrator is showing us that there's something deeper happening. So you can read this at face value, but I think if you catch on to what's happening literarily, you'll understand that the narrator's getting at something deeper about the human condition. It speaks to the heart of how we view things, how we see the world around us. And so what happens is God speaks to Samuel and he says, okay, Samuel, I want you to go to this place. I want you to go to Jesse's house. And now I want you to go to Jesse's house and I want you to look at Jesse's sons to find out who the next king will be. Now, when you read that, it sounds kind of random. Like, why would he choose Jesse? But if you remember, Jesse is the son of Obed, who's the son of Ruth and Boaz. So there's this thing happening, right? And the the, the writer assumes that you understand this. So when you hear this story, keep in mind, there's something happening in the narrative. And so what he's about to share with us is that God works in different ways than we think, right? So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 16. It says this in verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me just stop there for a second. Is that not a powerful marker of how we see things, right? We get so caught up in the superficial, on the outside, the way the things that look, the way that things appear, 
And yet God seems to take it to a a layer deeper. God is more concerned about what's happening inside of us than what's happening on the outside of us. So the author is getting this, this thing. He's doing this thing, and so pay attention. So it says this in verse 8. Then Jesse, this is the father of David, called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. So now he's, he's bringing his sons, right? Because Samuel comes to his house and says, show me your sons. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then said, had Shema passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And then he says, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, he's tending sheep. Now, what's the author doing? Notice that he hasn't even used David's name yet. They talked about the sons, and you don't actually hear David's name until the very last verse in this passage. The author is getting across to us this paradox that as humans, we look at the outside. We want everything to be perfect, and yet God looks at something deeper. And so here is David, the most unlikely character, because they've got Saul, who's the most likely character as king, and here you have David, who's the most unlikely person to ever be chosen. And so we see that David is forgotten. He's not even listed. He's not even listed in the way that this whole thing goes. And so Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now, in this time, in this place, in this culture, everyone's confused, right? All the family is so shocked and confused because humans look at the outside. God looks at something deeper, right? Why would you choose David? All of Jesse's sons, they're warriors. They fight. These guys are the ones, if you're going to pick a king, pick from this stock, not David, right? So everyone is confused. Even David is confused. David walks in and he sees Samuel. He knows who Samuel is and he's kind of scratching his head going like, why are you here? And then Samuel begins to anoint David as the next king. Now this is interesting because have you ever found yourself in a place and wondered, has God just left me here to die? Am I in this place and God is not present and this is sort of a cruel joke that he's playing on me? Because I've felt that before right? I've been, I've been in places in my life and I've had experiences and I've had pain, I've had struggles and suffered, suffering. And I thought, really? It's like Israel, right? Is this, you brought us out to the wilderness to die. I think David probably experienced that being out in the wilderness by himself with his sheep, wondering why am I here? And then all of a sudden he gets this call to come and there he sees Samuel and then Samuel anoints him as king, which is an odd thing. Cause why me? Well, there's some things we got to learn about David. There's some things we can learn about David's life that teach us about what it looks like to be content. So David is the youngest of eight brothers, right? And so he's the one who's chosen to go watch after the family's sheep. Now, a shepherd is not a glorious job, okay? Uh, he's by himself a lot. These are hard jobs to do. You're out in the wilderness. You're the one who's responsible for this entire flock of sheep to make sure that they're fed, to make sure that they get water, to make sure that they're protected. And and oftentimes, they're sort of marginalized and pushed out of society because, let's face it, when you work with sheep, you kind of smell, right? You're not not taking showers every day. You're out by yourself. You don't have a lot of friends. Nobody's really hanging out with you. It's just you and your sheep. He risks his life to care for these sheep, right? 
Because what happens when predators come? I mean, it's you. It's you between you and the sheep. And so this is where he's been, unnoticed by most people. Shepherds were sort of out in the fields, away from everybody. And so for David to be called out and brought in and then anointed is pretty remarkable, but also confusing. Wait, why? Why is he the one? And it's interesting because what does David do right after he's anointed as king? Think about this. There's this nation that needs a king. The high priest, the one high priest who's responsible for anointing and picking them, comes and gets this shepherd boy who's the youngest of eight, who's not a fighter, no prominence, is out in the field. He's got this job that nobody else wants. He's brought in and then anointed and said, this is the one who's going to be a king. The author is telling us about the way in which God works. That God doesn't do things the way that you and I would think they should be done. That he's working at a deeper level in our hearts and maybe even behind the scenes. So what does David do after he's been anointed as king of Israel? Well, he's presented with the extraordinary and yet David is actually content with being ordinary. Because what it says is that after he's anointed, David goes, well, well, cool, this has been great. I'm gonna go watch the sheep. He goes back. He goes back out into the field and he begins watch, like watching over the sheep. And if you're kind of looking at the story, you're going, that's, that's a little bit odd, right? Because if I was anointed king of Israel and I was a shepherd, I'd be like, I am out of here. Looking at the sheep like, kick rocks, you go figure it out. I'm not worried about you. I'm taking over this, this kingdom, right? But not David. No, no, this is what I know how to do. This is where I'm at. I'm going to go do this. He throws his rock. One of the things that David does is he has to learn to protect his sheep, right? So he's got this slingshot, and he's practicing, throwing his slingshot. I can just imagine, right? He's out in the field. He's throwing slingshots. He's learning to get good at it. What else are you going to do when you're watching sheep, right? Can't get on your phone and check social media, so you throw rocks, right? The other thing that David does when he's out there is he gets to play the harp. He's got a musical instrument. He learns to play the music. He learns to get good at it. And then we come across this verse in Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Let's just think about that for a second. It's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You see, sometimes I think on our journey, <clears throat> we want the spotlight to shoot 400 yards down the road so that I can see where the destination is, right? But what the psalmist writes, David, whoever, he says, no, it's more like a lamp, that shows you where you're at. It's the light, light unto your feet. And then if you've ever been out in the dark, if you've ever been camping with a lamp, you know that it gives you light where you're at, but it doesn't necessarily show you down the road, does it? Shows you where you're at, and it gives you enough light around you to see where you're at. And as you continue to take steps and move forward, it illuminates more of the path. But see, we want more. Just show me where there is, and then I'll start walking. If I, if I just know what it looks like over there, if I could just find that place over there, then I, I'll go. But what the psalmist is saying is, no. Today, where you're at here and now has much to say about where you go tomorrow. If you miss today, you miss what's waiting for you tomorrow. So David is there, essentially. He's out there. He's got the lamp at his feet. He's like, I'm a shepherd. I throw rocks, I play my harp, and I watch out for my sheep. This is who I am. Sure, I've been anointed king, but I don't know what that means. 
I'm just gonna do what I know how to do. This is what David's life looks like. But then look what happens. Look what the narrator continues to tell us about David's life. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, it says this. The spirit of the Lord had left Saul. This is the king. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play something soothing for you, and soon you will be well again. You see where this is going, right? All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, oh, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Do you see what's happening? Here's the lonely, unassuming, unsuspecting shepherd boy who's out in the field, marginalized, throwing rocks, playing harps, been anointed king, doing only what he knows how to do. And then the king, all of a sudden, needs someone to play music, and who do they pick? The one who knows how to play his harp. So, so David finds himself in the presence of Saul playing his harp and soothing Saul in these moments. I can just imagine the many nights and weeks and months and years that David spent by himself making music, lamenting, sad, probably moments of joy too, because we read that, right? When you look at the Psalms, you see all the different things that were written, this sort of myriad of emotions. David has lots of time to think and contemplate, and yet he's present in where he's at. Later on, we learn in the story that one of the things that David had to do was he had to kill a couple of lions and a bear, right, that came to try to take his sheep. And what better way to take care of lions and sheep than with a slingshot that you've been working at every single day, honing your skills to get better and better and better at? It was almost like he was perfectly positioned to take care of the sheep, right? He plays his music, he throws his rocks, and then... The king needs someone who can play music, and he's chosen. The sheep have a lion and a bear coming to attack and take from them, and all of a sudden, now he's got this weapon that he knows how to use, and he takes care and protects his sheep. David is simply doing what's in front of him. He could have given up. He could have been discontent and said, no, I'm king. I've been anointed already. Let me get there. I want to be there. I want to be king now. I'm not happy with this place. I don't want to be a shepherd you know, all this pain and frustration and loneliness that I'm dealing with right now, I don't need this. I'm a king. I could go do this thing. And yet, the lamp is a light to his feet and a light into his path. He throws his rocks. He plays his harps. He does what's in front of him. And what does the, the rock throwing and the harp playing, what does it actually get, David? First Samuel 17, verse 20, <clears throat> 26. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. So he's a shepherd. His father says, your brothers, who are the real warriors, not you, go take them some cheese and some bread to the front lines because there's a battle going on. And he came to the circle of the camp where the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. So David sort of comes out of the wilderness, walks up, sees that there's a battle going on. He's got to bring supplies, doing what he's told. 
David leaves his baggage in care of the baggage keeper, and he ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him, and they were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming to defy Israel. The Philistines have this gigantic warrior who is terrifying an entire army of people. They're afraid to go fight this guy. And he's hurling insults at Israel. He's hurling insults at their God. And here's David, this short little, you know, shepherd boy, unassuming, unsuspecting. Why would anybody think anything? He comes up to bring cheese and bread to his brothers at the the battle lines. And he hears this Philistine hurling insults about his God. And it's like all of a sudden, it clicks. The place that he's been at and the things that he's been doing, throwing his rocks, playing his harps, has led up to this moment. Then David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And you know the rest of the story. David goes up to Saul and says, are you going to do something about this? There's this guy out here who thinks that he's going to beat Israel, and here we are afraid. And Saul's like, I'm not going out there. Here, take all of my stuff. Take all of my armor. You want to go do something? Go. David puts the armor on and goes, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. He takes it off. He goes, just give me some rocks. Give me my slingshot. I'll take care of this. It's almost like everything in his, like if it's a movie, like everything is playing back, right? Like the moments out in the field, caring for his sheep, the bear, the lion come try to attack the sheep and he gets his rocks and he kills the bear and the lion. And now there's this Philistine, this guy, this warrior. He's like, I got this. Goes out to battle, takes his rock. Boom. Knocks down Goliath, right? And everyone's shocked. Who is this guy? Well, he's just a shepherd boy who did what he was supposed to do, who found the place that he was at in life and said, here I am. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to be the best shepherd I can be. I'm going to take care of what's in front of me today. I'm going to learn from today because today has lots to say about tomorrow. And as we see the story, right? You know the story about David. David becomes the king. And then ultimately we find out later on through the Bible and the scriptures that David is actually the great, great, great grandfather of Jesus. So if you're reading this and you're hearing this story, you got to ask yourself some questions. And I think this is really um, the question we all have to ask ourselves today because how you answer this question really speaks to the way that you view God. So Is God purposely sort of steering the ship and driving us into certain situations to kind of shape us and and puts us in places of suffering and hurt and pain purposely, and he goes, I want to see what you do here? Is that how God works? Or is God with us? And as situations present themselves, because we have free will, we get to choose what we're going to do in those situations, David had a choice. He could have chosen to not be a shepherd. He could have just said, I don't want to do this and this is dumb and I don't want to be out here by myself and I don't want to take care of sheep because my brothers, they're all warriors. I want to go do that. So does God allow the journey to be the teacher? Does God allow the path that you're on to sort of teach you and guide you and yet God is with you? 
Because remember, man looks at the outward appearance, and God looks at the inside. He goes deeper into our hearts. I think how you view that says a lot, right? Because when you have seasons of pain and suffering, it shows you that it doesn't have to be for nothing. That in that moment, you can throw a rock and you can play your harp, knowing that that moment has much to teach you about tomorrow. Or you can choose to run from it and say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with this. And you can try to push it away, right? And you can get locked into this cycle of trying to find more and get better and try to find there. What do you do? What do you do in those moments? For me, I have to sort of calm myself down, right? Because I'm a catastrophizer. I don't know about you, but I'm a catastrophizer. My therapist has thoroughly told me that I'm a catastrophizer, right? I take little tiny situations and I blow them up to like, this is the end of the world as I know it, right? And I have to like, when I get in these moments where I'm fearful and I'm not content and I don't like where I'm at and it feels like the journey is not moving fast enough, that the the pages aren't being written quick enough, I, I have to like take a deep breath and just go, I'm okay. And there's nothing wrong with being here. There's nothing wrong with being in this place. Sure, it might be painful. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe there's uncertainty. But that's okay. Because if I believe that today has much to say about tomorrow, then I don't want to miss it. And maybe that's it. Maybe we just need to slow down a little bit and not get in such a rush to get to the next place because there's value in throwing your rock and playing your harp. Henry Nouwen, theologian, philosopher, writer, I love what he says about being the beloved, about finding your place with God. He says this. I'll read it slowly. What is required is to become the beloved in the common places of my daily existence. Listen to that again. What's required to become the beloved is in in the common places of my daily existence, bit by bit. To close the gap that exists between what I know myself to be and the countless specific realities of everyday life. Becoming the beloved is pulling the truth revealed to me from above down into the ordinariness of what I am. In fact, thinking of, talking about, and doing from hour to hour. What Nowen is saying is that connecting and uniting with God is about being in the ordinariness and the commonness of every single day life, the way that you think, the things that you're experiencing, all of that. And see, what discontentedness does is it pushes us away from the normal routine of everyday life. You see, it's in those moments of monotony, boring, suffering, pain, that we pull the truth of God down with us. And this is where we find connection. This is where we connect and unite with God in a deeper way. Rather than getting caught up in making everything look good on the outside, right? Because everybody was looking at the outside and the narrator told us, see, God doesn't do that. He looks at the inside. He goes much deeper because he's doing something. He's calling us into something more. So what do we do? 
Is God steering us into these places of pain and suffering and going, well, it's a means to an end. You'll figure it out. Or do we have a choice to make? In every situation, a choice. And God is with us. I don't know. I wrestle with that. I have questions myself. But I do know that when I look in my life, choosing to stay in the situation and the time and the place, in retrospect, when I go, when I fast forward, I learned so much more, right? You've heard the expression, hindsight is twenty twenty. How do you become a good parent? You got a parent, right? How do you become a good husband or a wife? You got to be a husband or a wife. You got to do it. You got to experience it every single day. And in that, truth becomes revealed. Throwing your rock, playing your heart, finding contentment. That's hard to do. I admit that. It's hard to do. It's hard for me. It's hard for all of us, but God is doing something. He's calling us into something deeper. My hope, my prayer is that for us, that we'll be a community that's, that searches to find, that, that chooses to make choices and says, I'm here, that I'm going to stay present in this moment, that I'm not going to try to run, I'm not going to try to move, but I'm going to learn from today because I believe today has lots to say about tomorrow. God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we get to gather. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of David and how you reveal to us the way that you work, the mysterious ways in which you live and breathe and, and, and move in our world and in our lives and the situations. And gosh, while we don't understand it all, we want to hold loosely to this mysteriousness in the way that you work. But we do believe that you are present. We do believe that you are here, that you are with us now. And so I pray for strength to call upon you in those moments. I pray for strength to rest, to not get caught up in this struggle and and needing to find the next thing. Help us to find our place today. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to go to our time of communion. I mean, this is sort of the focal point. This is the this is what everything is is pointing to uh, when we gather in this place. It's the Eucharist. It's the the way that we connect with God, and it sort of levels the playing field for everybody. Right? Nobody has privilege in this moment. We all get access to Jesus, and so there's communion around the around the room. Uh, we have the gluten free on that side. If you want, you can take that there. Uh, we've got the prayer walls up here. If you have prayer needs, if you want to write something down on a prayer wall and stick it in there, you can do that as well. Um, this is a great opportunity for you. And so as always with Vox, everything is about invitation and not coercion. We never want to coerce anything. We never want to manipulate anybody. We want to just simply say, this is here for you to engage in it. Um, And so we're going to do a reading together. Uh, This isn't a read and response. We're just going to read it together collectively. I'm just going to lead us in that. Uh, And again, this is invitation. And something about confession is powerful. Um, If you've it's, it's, sometimes it can be scary to confess uh, by yourself um, for whatever reason. There's something powerful as we communally do it. Um, and so if you want to, if you feel led to, to, to say out loud with us, then you can do that. If you want to stay quiet, you can do that as well. But we're going to read this together, and then we're going to go ahead and take communion. Ready? Compassionate God, greet us with your grace this day, for we need you. We cannot save ourselves. Though we be frantic with activity, Our efforts do not yield peace, peace as you can give. Today, we would be quiet enough to hear your voice. Today, we would be still enough to feel your touch. Help us to find that place where we can receive as well as give, wait as well as act, and listen as well as speak. 
Our whole world needs your peace. Let us come before you and learn your ways, laying down our weapons and feeding the hungry. Come to us now through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is your time to respond around the room as you feel led. Ah, oh, thank you guys. It was awesome. Thank you. Hey, uh, man, I am so glad that we're here and we get to gather each week. I really mean that. I, I love Vox and uh, I love that we get to do this. And uh, really, this is because you choose to be here and participate. And, and I really want to thank those who've you know, generously given uh, to make this thing stay afloat. And so uh, if you want to continue to participate in what we're doing here, um, there are participation boxes at the door as you leave. If you want to participate and just jump in and be a part of the team, I mean, we'd love for that to be a part of uh, your life as well. And so if you want, you can shoot us an email, go on the website, or you can just talk to one of us. We'd love to just help connect you that way as well. So, um, man, it's good to be together. Uh, I hope you have a, a great rest of your Sunday, a great week, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. God bless you. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vox Community. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.